Welcome to Exploring Rural Health, a podcast from the Rural Health Information Hub. My name is Andrew Nelson. In this podcast, we'll be talking with a variety of experts about providing rural health care, problems they've encountered, and ways in which those problems can be solved. This is part three of a multi-part series about maternal health in rural America. Today we're talking to Dr. Julie Wood, who's the Senior Vice President of Research Science and Health of the Public at the American Academy of Family Physicians, and Dr. Zita McClure, who's a practicing family physician in Cairo, Georgia. Zita's daughter may also chime in from time to time. Thank you all for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, why is the AAFP interested in and concerned about rural maternal health, and what kinds of roles do family physicians play in providing maternity services for rural communities? Well, I'll start with uh, AAFP and and turn over to Zita. From the perspective of supporting our members and and patients especially, uh, and and a bit of my background too, um, I'm on staff um, as a with rural maternity care in our um, in my portfolio, I delivered for a number of years in my hometown, uh, which is a town of about five thousand in a critical access hospital. So I have experience there, but then came to the academy um, to apply that experience. So it's something near and dear to my heart, um, but also to help with policy and resources. And um, but it's extremely important because of the shortage of any maternity providers or pregnancy care providers in rural areas, as well as hospital closures or um, pregnancy unit closures in rural areas. And so we are doing a number of things to help advocate, to help support that, and also support our members that are living in rural areas like I used to. Um, And we had an OB unit closure. And so um, Zita knows that that's really important to me and try to help with her and her colleagues. And then also to help decrease maternal morbidity and mortality. I'll turn it over to Zita to answer a bit of that question as well. Well, of course, you know, pregnant patients are our patients, but, you know, really maternal health is very closely related to the health of the family and the entire community. You know, um, mothers tend to bring their, not only bring their children, but they bring their, their mothers, they bring their sisters, they bring their spouses to the doctor. Um, and that's something that um, I've seen, you know, over and over again, especially in our community. So, you know, when they know that they are being well cared for, when they know that they get good care, then they're going to be more likely not only to come back themselves throughout their life, um, but also, you know, bring in other members of the family. And that in turn improves the health of the entire community um, because they see the value in having a primary care physician. One of the other things I didn't mention is in the the area where I practice, we have a very large uh, migrant and immigrant population. Um, Many of them um, do not um, speak English um, in the home. And so that is just an additional barrier for many patients throughout the country um, in finding, um, you know, healthcare services. And when they can, you know, come to a, come to a, uh, place, they get pregnancy care, they feel like they have received good care, and maybe where they're from, um, you know, and from another country where they're from, people don't go to get a lot of medical care during the pregnancy, or they've only had home birth, and they've never delivered in a hospital before. And so when they come to you, and they have that experience, and then you see that when they become pregnant again, they come back to you, 
and they are now understanding the benefits of prenatal care. And then you start seeing their kids, and then they bring in they bring in their husband, who's you know um, you know has all these ailments, and 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 they realize that benefit. Then you see that where that that generational change is. That is why we care. Obviously, you know, as, as provi healthcare providers, we care about our patients, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from. But specifically with maternal health, this is going probably one of the things that's going to be the most impactful for the entire family. Yeah. What uh, what kind of skills and competencies does a family physician need to provide maternity care in a rural community? So so that's a great question. So in uh, family medicine training, um, we're trained to uh, do provide prenatal care, um, also be able to evaluate, diagnose, and treat most um, uh, conditions during pregnancy and um, be uh, educated on when referral and other testing and uh, resources are needed. Uh, we're also trained in delivery and postpartum care. So really that whole continuity, a continuum of care. We're also trained to care for newborns uh, from the hospital at the time of the delivery, um, all the way through uh, um, adolescence and into adulthood. And that I believe really gives us uh, an advantage and an ability to really care for these patients in a holistic way. And again, as Julie had mentioned, to reduce maternal mortality, which we know is is uh, both a demographic and a geographic issue. And in, in the rural setting, unfortunately, the outcomes are worse because of lack of access. And so since family physicians uh, provide more um, patient visits, office visits, in in rural settings than any other specialty, we are really poised to uh, kind of meet that need. And just as a follow on to that, family physicians in their training all receive a core curriculum for pregnancy care. And most of the time when you see a family physician going out into a rural area, they are in a program that has enhanced training. So they have um, usually an increased number of deliveries and some higher risk training as well. Zita and I both attended a program that had that type of training, but they're all family physicians have a core training. Yeah. What, um, what are some of the barriers that rural family physicians might encounter related to providing obstetric services specifically? Oh, there's several. And uh, I think the counter to that, that um, we might want to discuss too, or what are some of the joys? A lot of times people ask us about what's the, what's the bad or scary stuff, but um, I had to have, throw that one in there too. Um, I would say that it's several things. Uh, sometimes it's the, actually finding a place to practice. Sometimes we find that there are um, more family physicians interested that can find a place to do it. I know I was on call 24-7 for a number of years. That could be very exhausting and really not sustainable until I had a couple of uh, people move into town. Um, not every family physician provides uh, surgical services. So sometimes finding someone to back that up um, Zita and I were both trained to provide cesarean sections, so that was not as big an issue, but you also don't want to always be the only person in town that does that. So it's having those backup services, um, arranging to have appropriate transfer services, um, because generally when you're in a smaller town, you still need to have that backup or that ability to transfer out, say, very young uh, babies if they come way too early. So having all those um, appropriate levels of care to transfer to they're not necessarily barriers, but it's very important that you have those kinds of things um, established so that you can get the mother or the baby to safe care when needed. Um, so those are some initial thoughts. 
Sita, I'll turn it over to you for, for your uh, ideas. So some of the barriers that family physicians um, experience in providing maternal care, especially in rural areas, um, one of them is just is volume. Um, so many rural areas, there is not sufficient volume to keep certain skills up um, adequately. For instance, C-section, uh, DNCs, which is done for treatment of miscarriages, which is a very important and life-saving procedure. And so having, um, having uh, a relationship with neighboring uh, institutions and facilities, maybe in larger areas, uh, or even sometimes uh, institutions where the physician train to be able to go back and to uh, continue to practice those skills and take them back to the community is really important. And so uh, if, if that, th that can be facilitated in any way, then I feel like that those skills can be brought back to the community and really benefit patients um, um, who are in that community. Um, another you know, potential challenge is call coverage and not really not wanting to be the only physician delivering because it's not sustainable. And I will say that the AFP has really, uh, really provided a lot of resources for family physicians who are delivering. One of those is through the member interest group that we have for obstetrics. And uh, family physicians from all over the country can really network with other physicians who are delivering. And it's really great because we have um, a very, uh, very involved uh, administrative staff uh, that can really carry those questions on to people like Julie and, uh, you know, get a response back. This is one of those things that is in the process of being addressed, but it would be great to continue to provide ways to really support more family physicians being able to practice in these areas um, so that you, do, you can help avoid burnout um, and, and as well as unit closures. Yeah, I'll add on to that too. I think it's a little bit of a catch-22 sometimes because Zita and I both talk to family physicians that are eager to deliver and serve their community and the community has needs for pregnancy care services, but the hospital also is losing money because of the volume and they'll close them down and then the community doesn't have services. So we also want to keep our skills up if the, the numbers are low, that's what happened in my community and they closed. And I, I ultimately left the community because I wanted to continue delivering and it, it really broke my heart. Um, and those people didn't have any services anymore, any pregnancy care services. Um, but the hospital just was losing money and they said, we're not gonna keep doing it. Uh, that, that was really, really heartbreaking and concerning because we were actually a small critical access hospital in the area that other hospitals or were like transferring to or just we were having drive by, you know, people stopping off that were already um, an area where it was just a little little bastion of, of rural delivery and then we closed. So that was really hard from a financial standpoint. And you see that about a, a number of rural hospitals already. So there's that that financial piece with hospitals staying open, particularly on the OB part and just overall. And then there's the part of keeping your skills up. That's really important as well. Absolutely, my favorite part of practice. Rural practice can be really challenging, but um, delivering babies, being a part of that, um, growing the family, having those babies grow up with you. One of my favorite memories in my hometown was about five years into practice when the homecoming float went by and they were five-year-olds from the kindergarten class and there were my babies up there waving at me. <laughs> you know, all the five-year-olds. Um, and they're like, Dr. Wood, Dr. Wood. I mean, that was just so awesome. And just seeing the families come in and I really wanted, I really, really wanted to get to the, 
my babies having babies, which is happening now, but I wasn't able to make it to that because that OB unit closed. But I just loved when the babies came in and the brothers and sisters and, and the whole families. It really is the grandmas, the moms and dads, and um, it's just so rewarding. I would definitely echo that. I'm coming up on my eighth year in practice here, and so that's how I kind of, there's certain families that I know how far, how long I've been here based on how old the kids are, and it's really, really cool. And then you just see them just, just like sprout. You're just like, you're so big. What does that mean? I'm so old. So it's just, it's, it is so, it's so fun. And then I, I joke, um, some of the best compliments, uh, or what I think is the, the best compliment is when uh, I've had uh, two patients actually tell me that they were referred to me by their grandfather. <laughs> My patient. So I just love that. I'm like, that's just, it's great. Um, and, and, and everything else you said, I, I echo that. I love seeing the brothers and sisters and how they grow and they learn how to be older siblings to the younger children that we deliver. Um, I love it when, when, when moms bring in their, their husbands or their partners and, uh, and, and, you know, just bring them as in to be part of the family and also to make sure that their health is where it needs to be. And I, I think that's the biggest compliment that anyone can give you. So I, I highly, 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 you know, recommend this as a very rewarding uh, profession, challenging as Julie described, but but very rewarding as well. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to hear about the degree of investment that you can develop with your community. Um, how can rural family physicians and their hospitals you know, help to improve patient safety and, and outcomes and then in turn decrease maternal morbidity and mortality? Are there any evidence-based methods that AAFP specifically suggests for this? One of the programs we have is called ALSO, or Advanced Life Support and Obstetrics, which is a program that many of our residents take in training, but then we also encourage um, practicing physicians and their teams to take, and including um, emergency room physicians. Um, and we have a basic life support and obstetrics course as well for our first responders. But it's it's the team that's really important, uh, and that includes some you know lecture type of learning, some hands on learning, uh, simulation and drills. And it's something you can't just do you know once every five years or something like that. It's something you practice. So say that there's something like a postpartum hemorrhage um, that happens, which can be very fatal or at least cause a lot of harm. And so we practice that. What would happen if that occurs? And you don't just do something when it's actually happening. You practice it ahead of time. Do we have the right supplies in place? What would happen? And that course teaches that. Um, how do you think through that in a systematic way? And how do you work on that with your team across the whole um, facility, really? And so that course teaches a lot of those different principles across a lot of different scenarios. So that's one thing the AFP has. And then there's some other evidence-based methods as well, but I'll let Zita speak to that because I know she's been familiar with the ALSO course as well. Uh, absolutely. I'm uh, an ALSO in course instructor and um, we also held a, an ALSO course for our rural hospital. And it was really great because we were able to collaborate with our referral center um, in Albany. And we also got, um, some um, midwives to come from our sister hospital in the neighboring larger town. So it was a great way to really get hands-on and work with um, a multidisciplinary team. And it was a way for us to interact with our nurses and other delivering staff in, in, in a, this constructive way, uh, really you know, going over our skills and making sure that we're ready for emergencies. And this is definitely 
evidence-based and, and is life-saving. Um, the other um, you know, thing that I'll mention is that the uh, most states have a perinatal quality collaborative, and, and the state of Georgia has one, the Georgia Perinatal Quality Collaborative, or GAPQC for short. And um, part of the Perinatal Quality Collaborative is doing QI, quality improvement projects, at, focused on the areas of high morbidity and mortality for both neonates and ma maternal care as well. And um, so some of these, we call them AIM bundles, um, and these bundles are meant to be uh, used and used to instruct hospitals to uh, respond to emergencies. So for instance, our hospital has a postpartum hemorrhage bundle, and we implemented that, and we're looking at our response to postpartum hemorrhages and, and, and which patients require blood transfusions, and and, um, and the number of incidents that we have during a given period of time. Uh, we also implemented the hypertensive bundle as well. And, and there's many more, but this is a really great uh, program and it really reaches uh, rural hospitals where they are. Most of the uh, support is given uh, virtually, uh, which is really, really great, especially during COVID. Um, and I believe the Georgia Perinatal Quality Collaborative has been in existence since 2017. So wasn't in existence very long before we hit COVID. Uh, so yeah, this is these are all evidence-based uh, ways that family physicians and and our academy is, at large is is really trying to are really trying to address this issue. Yeah, AFP has participated with. Um, the AIM bundles and AIM project safety initiatives um, is a partner with ACOG on that. So I think that's really important and good work that ACOG's done and we've collaborated with. And there's also a, an AIM CCI project now, which is a um, community care initiative. So they've recognized that the hospital piece of that's really important, but also um, there's a second wave of that in the community part. So um, there's a lot of focus now about what happens in the community. So we're also partnering on that AIM CCI project as well. So looking forward to continued work there. It's more of the postpartum focus out in the community. Both of you kind of spoke to the next question I was going to ask you, uh, which is for family physicians in, in rural communities that don't have delivery services as such, are there any other special considerations for emergency deliveries? I think it's being prepared. One of the things we've been talking about a lot is, is that preparedness piece and AFP has been focusing on a term called OB ready. And so if, if a facility is not prepared, doesn't have services, and one of our main concerns is what if there is no facility? Um, a lot of times that's a family physician in a community or even on the roadside or whatever is what can we do as AAFP and family physicians to help that community or our members be ready. And so, um, we are working on a concept with a lot of our colleagues, for example, NRHA, ACOG, and others to start promoting this concept of OB readiness and what does that mean? So that is something that's a fairly new concept because there's a lot of work going on in hospital settings, but what about units that have closed that don't have people that deliver? They don't have facilities anymore or there are just no facilities. So I think some of those things we're talking about already, like drills, practice, making sure you really do have supplies, even if you are not a hospital that thinks of themselves as a delivery facility, or there just is no facility. Helping first responders be ready um, and learn those skills. And some of these courses we're talking about, like the ASO course, and we didn't specifically allude to it, but some of the neonatal 
um, resuscitation type courses are really important as well. Um, I, I'll just piggyback off, off what you said. In addition to also the American Academy of Family Physicians also has a course called um, Basic Life Support and Obstetrics as well, and it's geared more towards those that are not planning on doing deliveries, but just having a basic um, uh, understanding and competency. Uh, so for paramedics, uh, EMTs, uh, and ER physicians as well. Um, so that if they, if patients do present to the emergency room and uh, need immediate stabilization and care, uh, that can be provided. Or if they're on the roadside, which many times happens as patients are traveling to their delivering hospital because they live a, a, a distance from that hospital. But the other thing that I, I feel is important to note is that, um, you know, some patients that are, are presenting to uh, an emergency room, you know, people who come to an emergency room, they kind of have a basic uh, expectation that the medical care, the, the, about the medical care they're going to uh, receive, for instance, there's no ER probably in the entire uh, United States where you would go and say, I have chest pain, and someone there would not know what to do. Everybody would know what to do. It doesn't matter where you are. And if it involves transferring so that you can, you know, have a procedure or see a cardiologist, that's fine, but they would be able to stabilize you and transfer you. But that is not the case with uh, obstetrical emergencies. And this is why one of the reasons we are concerned that our maternal mortality rate is so high. You, there are several emergency rooms that you can present to, even in, even, not necessarily in a very, very rural area, where there may be a provider there that has no experience um, providing care to um, pregnant patients. And so that's why it's so important. And this, this also kind of overlaps into some other things because family physicians also provide a, a lot of the emergency medicine care in rural areas. So by having them, uh, family physicians that are trained um, and had a core curriculum that involved taking care of pregnant patients, this is going to help, uh, you know, hopefully decrease the, um, you know, the morbidity that's associated with, you know, ha having a, a facility that, uh, you know, does not provide obstetrical care or doesn't have an obstetrical unit, but that the provider can stabilize the patient and get them transferred. So family family physicians have have such an important role and as as you said sometimes they have to kind of go above and beyond their their regular responsibilities uh what are some ways that uh either their community or the hospital they work at or or providers at tertiary hospitals can help to support family physicians who who provide high quality maternal services um, one of the things that really helps facilitate that is having um, a, another provider on the other end, usually another OBGYN or a, a maternal fetal medicine specialist uh, where there's an established relationship and they understand the limitations of our facility. Um, I think if there's any uh, medical providers that are listening to this podcast, they know, you know, no matter what specialty, you know how difficult it is when you are trying to transfer a patient who needs a higher level of care. And in a area with limited resources, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize just how limited it can be that you don't have an ICU, you don't have uh, even, you know, um, you know, any type of a NICU or newborn nursery. And so by them understanding the limitations, um, they're much more likely to readily accept that patient and, you know, the transfer is not delayed. 
I would echo that. And it's been a while since I've been in my real town, but we had the wonderful opportunity. We, um, I did um, co-manage several higher risk patients or moderate risk patients with the maternal fetal medicine specialist who really did support us. Uh, he and the neonatal team both came out to our facility, which was a um, small critical access, access hospital. It was 21 beds and a couple of OB beds included into that 21 beds. They would come out at least twice a year to the facility. Um, they would, um, uh, and we would go there. We would go to the, um, the higher level facility and do courses. So we would take our um, neonatal resuscitation class there. They would come and provide lectures on um, different high-risk topics to the physicians and the nurses. And then they would tour the facility. They would see where we were actually transferring from. That meant the world to us. And they really did understand what supplies we had and did not have, what resources we had and did not have. And when we would call and say, here's what we have, we would give a history. They trusted us. We trusted them. And they knew what we were dealing with and what we, you know, what we were preparing to, uh, to handle and with what we had to work with. And um, we had very smooth transfers. They also communicated very well. Um, there was bi-directional communication and um, excellent care for those patients. We had regular protocols for some of the more moderate risk situations. Deliver in the small town, automatically come and do, um, you know, they, we're just going to care for that here. Um, I remember one patient that I uh, found a, a large murmur on at one of the first prenatal visits. And it was something where they just really needed to deliver um, in, a, in a higher acuity of, of a hospital because of that. She ended up having a pretty significant heart problem that had not been detected prior to pregnancy. And that one, the maternal fetal medicine doctor said, I really think she needs to deliver her actually in an ICU. I'm not even sure, you know, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to deliver her. <laughs> um, she really needs a lot of attention. So, um, and she did and everybody did okay. But that was one where um, I'm really glad we had that plan. I've had some others where, you know, if, if all these things go well to this point, then she delivers in your little town. And if not, we're going to have her do that. And a lot of them we did testing after a certain point. And so we always had plans and good communication. But that thing, like Zita said, um, them coming to us and us going to them um, on different occasions really opened up those lines of communication and understanding about our various practice settings. And ultimately, the patient did well um, because of that. It really improved their outcomes. And if they could deliver at home, great. Um, and also, we, if we had to separate mom and baby, which we really tried not to do, we communicated a lot and we got them back together as soon as possible when, uh, whenever it was healthy to do so. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, can you tell us about the role that telehealth can play in facilitating OB care for rural folks? Okay. Um, yes. Um, so we were not using telehealth before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine um, had some guidelines um, using um, using telehealth for certain prenatal visits to limit the exposure to patients and, and uh, medical providers. And so we instituted that. And then um, not only with our pregnant patients, but non-pregnant patients as well, we have continued to provide telehealth services. And, and the patients really do like it. Something that's very important uh, to be able to continue this is to, to be able to have, um, you know, the, for insurance companies to continue reimburse for both video and uh, telephone telehealth. And the reason this is so important, especially in rural communities, is that, you know, um, uh, Internet is not reliable, especially in many of our rural areas. And so the video calls are really just not possible. And it's, 
can be actually very frustrating for patients and delay delay their care. So being able to bill for a telehealth, especially acute visits, because we are still seeing pregnant patients with COVID um, or other illnesses and acute um, problems during the pregnancy that we would bill separately for. And so being able to do this and not requiring them to necessarily have to come in, there's, there's several benefits to that um, for the patient, um, you know, not even just the fact that, you know, they're not having to be exposed or expose others to potential illness. So that's one for us, that's a really big area that's really important. I know there's some areas where they're doing telehealth for uh, consultations, um, for instance, maternal fetal uh, medicine consultations. And you know, we're very fortunate that we have maternal fetal medicine, you know, all within about an hour, and most patients are able to go to those visits. Um, but I would, um, I know that that also has been a benefit, and some some communities have utilized that as well. So. What role have you seen that social determinants of health play in rural maternal health outcomes? And do you think there's a role for physicians in addressing those determinants? You know, social determinants of health, this kind of goes along, and I'm just going to put a little plug in for um, implicit bias in here. It, 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 it is, it, it does, it, it all falls under that concept. So basically the concept is, that um, our health outcomes are determined by things that are maybe are not traditionally thought of as being um, clinical or medical in nature. So having access to a grocery store that provides fresh produce, um, you know, if you have access to, you know, proper education and that you have school, you know, um, school choice, and um, those are all those are all potentially those those things all potentially can affect your health. And so the how that's related to implicit bias is that, you know, a lot of our patients, um, maybe some of our patients come from an area or from a community where, you know, eating a certain way is all they know. And so when we try to counsel them on healthier eating habits, this is, applies to both pregnant patients and non-pregnant patients, pediatric patients, adult patients, um, they really they really have a challenge to try and change that behavior. And it's not because of necessarily an educational gap or because they're not uh, smart. It's just because that is what they are. Um, that, that's just where that's just where they're coming from. And so we have to really meet them where they are. Um, and so uh, where implicit bias, which is an unconscious bias that, that we have that can affect people's um, that can affect our patients health outcomes you know, we may be biased into thinking that, you know, some patients are not motivated to make certain uh, changes to improve their health, but what it is is that they need more resources. And so that's where social determinants of health are so important. How physicians can help address those social determinants of health, um, one is, you know, just by asking the question, questions and screening patients for potential um, issues regarding food security, um, um, uh, housing security and things like that. Uh, it doesn't have to be at every visit, but if it could be implemented in, in a systematic way in your office, uh, that will allow uh, you the opportunity as the provider to be able to better address that, or at least acknowledge that this is a barrier to your patient's, uh, to your patient obtaining optimal health. Yeah, we have a social needs screening tool that AAFP helped um, put together through our um, healthcare um, 
we have a project called the Everyone Project that's trying to get access to healthcare for everyone, um, hence the name. And we have a, a neighborhood navigator that's helping people anywhere by putting in their zip code. And it's, um, I'm looking down so I get it right. It's um, HTTPS uh, colon backslash backslash navigator.aafp.org. And that um, that's available also on our familydoctor.org website um, to anyone so that they could go in either a family physician that helps screen with our social needs tool and or any patient or any um, anybody in the office to help screen at any visit to help them um, access um, in, in a rural area or anywhere where they live to help them find um, different social needs. Yeah. And Dr. Wood, I think you made mention up top of the fact that maternal health disparities exist not just along uh, geographical lines, but also among racial and ethnic groups. Um, how do you think rural providers and facilities and communities can work to help improve health equity, especially around maternal health? Well, I think it's definitely a team approach. It can't be any um, any one person or any one group in the office or in the community. It's got to be a team approach as far as how we practice uh, as physicians, but also community. So coming together uh, and working um, for a pregnant person um, throughout that pregnancy or before so that we're recognizing it. So ideally, we're helping before the person gets pregnant or the family gets pregnant, but um, ideally before, during and after the pregnancy to support the person. I would just echo um, what, what Julie said. Um, you know, um, I think that we can, especially family physicians being in the position where we are, we are at um, really an important, we are in a important position to really address those needs for the patient. And, um, you know, I think with the proper support, as we've already kind of talked about during the, the podcast, um, both from our academy, which has really done a really outstanding job in voicing the issues surrounding maternal care, as well as from the community, the from the hospital at administrative level, um, the Department of Health, you know, just recognizing that we are on the front lines um, and then em empowering us to help those patients. I think that's what's going to make the biggest difference. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up public health, Zita, too, because it's really important that we work together. And in many communities that's um, already happening, but it's another area of focus for AAFP is aligning with public health, whether that's at the local, state, or national level. I think the most important thing um, from my perspective is is a lot of what we've already said, that uh, and Zita as well, that the um, that family physicians are well positioned because of our diverse training and that we see the whole family. But also, we can't do it alone. And it's really important that we work with other healthcare providers, others in the community, and the whole family. And um, we're really um, excited to do that. And we want to work to help uh, achieve healthy pregnancies and healthy families and lower those maternal morbidity and mortality rates. And then in terms of the joys um, of practice, uh, Julie listed several of them, and I'd have to echo the same um, you know, seeing the kids grow up that you deliver and it, it's just a, it's just something that we really can't even describe. It's, it's really a beautiful thing to watch. And then the other thing is just seeing the other family members come, um, whether it be the, the spouse of your, your patient that you delivered or their extended family, uh, really getting the opportunity to see the whole family is, uh, very rewarding and it's the biggest compliment anyone can ever, uh, give you to bring or recommend a family member to you, so. 
And I think just the honor of being with the family at the moment of birth. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I, and for some reason I was thinking like all of the, the office, you know, interactions and things, but I mean, the actual moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the actual moment, yes, the actual moment, the tears, the joy, the, you know, the pain that they're experiencing and then to hear that first cry. I mean, it never, I'll ask, ask you, Julie, I mean, it, it never gets old. I tell every patient that they're like, oh, you've probably seen, you know, oh, you've seen a ton of babies deliver. I said, it doesn't matter. It never gets old. Nope. Yeah. Always awe-inspiring and, and talk about being able to bond with a family. I mean, that is the best. Yes, absolutely. And then helping mom breastfeed too. So yeah, no, I was just, and then, you know, the next step, it's like, okay, baby's here. Now what? Okay. Baby's got to eat. We've got to do this. Do you, you know, and, and, you know, you know, inter, you know, interacting with the family, engaging the family. It, it's just, it is really, it is one of the greatest honors I can, I can imagine. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a whole new phase. Now you've carried them to this pregnancy. Now baby's here, the family's grown. Now what, you know, and, and dealing with that and dealing with that dynamic. And I'll just throw this out there, you know, you know, being able to um, help patients and their family kind of through these uh, milestones in life doesn't stop with delivery. I mean, you have, sometimes you have pregnancies that don't end in a live birth. And that can be extremely devastating and difficult. And so, again, that dynamic, um, you know, working with the family, working through grief support, through mental health support is so, so important. Um, so, so yes, I, I think it's, again, it's a challenge and, and, and also a joy all at the same time. You've been listening to Exploring Rural Health, a podcast from RHI Hub. Today we spoke to Dr. Julie Wood, who's the Senior Vice President of Research Science and Health of the Public at the American Academy of Family Physicians, as well as Dr. Zita McGlore, who's a practicing family physician in Cairo, Georgia. Look in our show notes for more information about their work and visit ruralhealthinfo.org for all things pertaining to rural health.